1: you're a model of flawless design i can't help but feel butterflies every time you are by you make me want to throw away my storyline and make a new one with you i could be your new rescue rescue
2: i know these feelings have been long overdue come on.
1: I've been cold and dead Cut my heart off from my head Stuck in someone else's bed Who's this? Told myself I'd never ever far, far, far I said life's too short to let them have it all, oh, all oh, 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 right Yeah
2: uh, And all these feelings have been long overdue
3: Good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you're listening. How are you all doing? It's Jay Scott. It's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for stopping by and tuning in. I always appreciate it. Don't forget to write us a review when you're done listening. As uh, you all know, podcasts rely a lot on reviews, so we do appreciate any time you give us some feedback. And we are part of the Pantheon podcast platform, the official podcast platform of Metallica which is really cool. So they've got their podcast on our platform, but you can check out that show along with a lot of other music related podcasts or something for everyone's taste in music from metal to folk music to blues, whatever in between Um, we cover it all on Pantheon podcast and you can visit them at pantheonpodcast.com and on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Pantheon pods. And you can do the same with the hook rocks, on all three of those platforms as well as threads, although I'm still trying to get that uh, app figured out. They need a desktop version because I don't like typing with my thumbs on my phone because I always make mistakes and have to delete and try it over again. So, um, hopefully they get that soon because I'll probably use it a lot more than I do now. But anyway, don't forget to set your app to automatic download. So you get the latest episodes right to your phone. We just celebrated our five hundredth episode with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick and our four year anniversary show earlier this year with Nita Strauss. And we've had some great shows along the way this year. We just did our live album review, which we do every quarter of the legendary motorhead album, No Sleep Till Hammersmith. We had Nick Perry talking about his new album, Terra Firma. We also welcomed Julia Lauren from The Foxies as well. as a great interview. She's um I saw her perform with the dead deads earlier this year. She was filling in on bass, but she's got some stuff going on with her band, the foxies and can't wait to hear that. And then don't forget to check out some episodes previous, previously this year with Rick Nielsen from cheap trick. We had George Lynch, the legendary guitar player, Richie Kotzen from the winery dogs and many others. So check it all out and, uh, look forward to hearing your feedback. We are here again, though, to talk with two great artists, two independent artists that are getting ready to go on a tour together. And we've had a lot of that over the last year or so. As you most of you uh, remember, we had Josh and Meta Dead from the Dead Deads and the Black Moods on prior to their tour. We had Jared James Nichols and Tuck Smith on uh prior to their tour, too, as well. And it's great to see young up-and-coming artists really go together and and do a tour together and spread the word of their music to fans and that have been wanting to hear their music. And it's very hard these days to get on these major bills with these major artists because the promoters get involved and Live Nation gets involved and they got to sell tickets. So they put another band up there that's kind of like just below them. So those days of the bands picking young artists are few and far between, not like it was years ago. So in order to get the music out, a lot of them are teaming up now and touring and playing one show at a time and growing their audience one person at a time. And it's great. And it's good to see. And we're welcoming in Aaron Colburn and Leilani Kilgore to talk about their tour and their music. What's going on? How are you?
1: Doing great. How are you doing?
3: Doing fantastic. I'm um, Looking forward to the show for a bit here and looking forward to the tour. I was looking at dates. To see which one I can make that's around Chicago. I know there's a couple in Michigan that uh, may work. And I think there's one in Kokomo, Indiana, which I haven't been to Kokomo in years, but, um, yeah. So I'm trying to figure out a day and time that works maybe on a weekend to go out and see the show. So glad to have you both on the, on the podcast and to talk the tour. And I guess the first question is, how did this come together?
0: Um, you want to go first? Go <laughs> do rock paper scissors? Go go you all you. <laughs> uh, well, so really long story short. like um, I started working Jay, as you know from our previous conversations. Um, I've I've been self booking and and self-managing for a while up until about I think a year and a half ago when I, I started working with management here in Nashville. and I've been following Aaron for quite a while. And, um, eventually at some point last year, Aaron posted a tour schedule and it was like three or four weeks that she was out on the road. And I sent a screenshot of it to my manager and I said, I want to do this. How do we do this? And West was like, okay, let's do it. So he actually reached out just directly to Aaron's, uh, booking agency and pitched me as an artist. And they're like, oh yeah, we've heard about Lilani, We'd love to work with her. And then... Surely enough, within a couple of months, uh, Scott Boyer, who is our, our mutual agent, uh, said, how would you feel about a tour with Aaron? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. So here we are. That's, that is, on my side of things, the, the short story. Yeah. And the magic's about to happen.
3: <laughs> you know, being a fan of each other, you know, for, for however long you guys have, have known of each other's music, that has to be exciting for you to kind of not only do a tour together, with each other as, as people, but also as musicians.
0: I'm super stoked. Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, personally, just I feel like Aaron and I are are not only a very good fit musically, Um, but I've just been, uh, yeah, a fan of Aaron's for a while. And I'm excited to get to, to see her in action and, and thrilled to get to share a bill with her.
1: And likewise, I was so... Because like, I think Scott's the one that initially brought up the whole idea. And I was just like, that's freaking genius. Because I think like our energies
0: match really well. So it's it's going to be a, a hell of a show. Because we actually, we met doing a different podcast as a Christmas mm-hmm. episode, right? That was kind of a first. Yeah, the Blues and Southern Rock podcast,
1: which they were on this podcast. I saw that episode too. But that was, I met you and, and Jax, um, through that podcast. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, these, these people are so cool. <laughs> like it's nice to have friends. Cause when you're in like, when you're in this industry, like you have people that like you pass by occasionally and you wave, you're like, Hey, like you're doing the whole touring thing. And then like you don't talk right. to them like a whole nother year, but you know, the, it's, it's been nice to stay connected with some really talented people like Leilani and, and Jax as well. No, likewise.
3: Yeah. Brian and Jason are both great people on uh, the all things blues and Southern rock. And. It's been told to us because Jason and I have done shows or segments together that we can't do a segment anymore unless we have a chaperone because things just get completely.
1: Wasn't <laughs> the best podcast?
3: <laughs> we did a segment at Rock and Pod, which Leilani was at, and he just came by, we just started talking, and I recorded it and I put it on the episode. And there was a podcast um across from me called What's Hot in the Strip Club. And we just took that in the areas where we probably shouldn't have, but it was funny. <laughs> it was good. And but yeah, after that everyone's like, Yeah, you guys should not do any segments alone together
0: ever again. Funnily enough, the most unhinged podcast I've ever done was with All Things Blues and Rock, literally at Rock and Pod about that same exact topic of conversation. Like we <laughs> where,
1: where can I listen to this? Is this on the on the podcast? Is it released?
3: Yeah, you can see it. Um it was released in March. Okay. Uh, after Rock and Pod, and it's at the end. So like Leilani's on there, tux Tuck Smith's on there, Craig Gas, the comedian who was awesome talking about Eddie Van Halen, and then I think the last second or the second to last segment is with Jason, and things just get out of hand. So
1: <laughs> that's awesome. You know, warning on that one. <laughs>
3: yes, we 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 like what we were like. What's hot in the strip club? I'm like, I'll tell you what's hot. <laughs> And and all this stuff. And it just went <laughs> down this road that we just could not pull up and pull back. It was already it was already on its way. So we just went with it.
1: Fantastic.
3: <laughs> you know, this tour again, like the two previous I mentioned, speaks to really the the landscape of music right now in the music industry. Whereas I mentioned that, you know, years ago, a band could pick their opening act and you know bring out a new act on tour and help help them get exposure those days are are few and far between they, that may happen every once in a while but it's not as frequent as it was so artists especially newer artists have to team up and join forces and find a way to be efficient on the tour because costs are up you know especially with fuel and lodging and food and Obviously to, you know, to, to bring a separate, I know I was talking to the dead Meta and Josh from the black moods and uh the dead dads, and they were using like one drum set with like, and all they did was change the, the, the header of the bass drum out, you know, in between, you know, as they were setting up, but it, it's an economical way to really bring your music out to people. Because like I said, those days are are few and far between of a major act bringing a, a, a smaller act out. In one aspect, it's very exciting for music fans, and it's very exciting for artists like yourself because you guys are up-and-coming artists, and there's a hunger there, and there's and there's the excitement of growing your audience. On the other hand, there's also frustration because money and greed is involved on one aspect of it, and you guys are just trying to play your music and get it heard. Where are you at just in terms of your perspective on what's going on with the music industry and touring with newer artists?
1: Um, As far as like tours go, cause I've been touring like for a while, like just by myself. And there's been a few shows where we've done like double headers with people, but it was like the venue that put it together. So this is, I think, I think this is the first tour that I've been like doing like a co like a co billing tour with. So I'm super excited about this because, you know, like you mentioned, like there, it's really hard to get on those major, those major tours with the major artists. And, you know, a lot of the times you have to pay, massive amounts of money in order to get on there. And it doesn't make sense because you have social media at your fingertips. And, you know, a lot of artists have the outlook of, okay, well, I'm not going to tour until I get big on social media because then there's my following and they'll come to shows. But there's the old school way of going out to shows, playing shows to get fans, which you don't have to do anymore, but it definitely creates a different connection than just using social media. So, but having another, like, another artist that, like, you respect and really, like, you know, are excited to play with, like, you know, Leilani and me, like, we have two different fan bases, you know, there's, there's some people that, you know, there's some people that are fans of both of, of our, our music. And then there's some fans that are just fans of Leilani, just fans of me that are going to be discovering, you know, the other person on this tour that are going to come out and, you know, be lifetime fans after that of, of both of us. So, um, I think that's, you know, uh, a cool, a cool thing to look at. And also like with independent artists, I find that fans of independent artists are really different than like the fans of like major artists like or at least there's some differences but there's definitely a, a layer of um like a deeper layer of like fan connection going on there so uh, we get to grow that on tours like this
0: yeah um it, this is also my first time doing an actual structured tour with another artist like this because same same situation you know i i've, I've done you know just shows by myself or would get like local support things like that so actually having um like a team that you're traveling with you know a fellow bands and you guys are are doing the same you know the same venues every night and have like a system in place it's fantastic it is it is hard as an independent artist because you don't have the financial backing and i mean frankly we we're sharing a drum kit on this tour yep um and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit more of a struggle, but honestly, I think the most exciting thing is, and especially at this level, you still have the opportunity to have a really personal connection with your fans. Like I, I, I like to go out, especially in a new market or a new venue and, and just have conversations with people and frankly, thank them for being there, you know, cause they could be doing anything else, especially if they don't know you. Um, and Aaron and I do have a very similar fan base. We have a lot of crossover. Um, so I've just seen a lot of excitement, um, on social media platforms regarding the fact that we're both playing together. And I think that's going to be fantastic. I think it's great to, to have two independent artists, um, who are out there supporting each other and, and also have similar enough fan bases and, and have it be just complimentary and, and, um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. sentence, But yes, that. Absolutely.
3: Speaking to what it. You just said, Aaron, about you know the fan of an independent artist and being a fan of both. You know, I mean, I grew up on you know the big acts, and I you know I, I I've seen them all when years ago, and um and I, I still love to find new music, and that's really one of the 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 idea of this podcast came from is to really spotlight new artists and in new bands. And I will say, as a as a fan of independent artists, there's more of a like a dedication. To seeing them when they come into town, obviously, you know, if you can't, you can't. But you know, buying their CDs, getting their their vinyl, all that stuff, because you know that this is what an independent artist lives on, right? I mean, this is what this is how they support themselves. Whereas the the big acts, you know, the big fish, you know, are, are going to eat well whether they tour or not. And, and, you know, they've been in the game for a long time and, and it's well deserved, right? I mean, they've gotten to that point where, um, they've, they've created some great music over the years that's connected with people. And that's why they play the stadiums. That's why they play the arenas. But it is satisfying for a fan, you know, when you see two artists like yourselves line up with each other that, you know, it's, it feels like part of a movement and it feels like you're part of something as a fan rather than you're just another, you know, button in a seat at an arena, you know, mm. that really doesn't have any any connection with the artist. And I think that is what makes rock and roll in this day of modern music so special is because like Leilani says that she likes to go out and meet her fans and she likes to 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 connect with them. Um you don't you never got that before obviously in 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 days of in the days of old, but it's nice to have that connection and seeing an artist grow like i saw a band called bourbon house last night um which is a band out of wisconsin that's an independent artist and they're blues based artists and you know they're building their audience too as well and, it, and it's and it's good music and i always tell people that make the mistake of thinking what's popular is the best you know i always use the the term like well you know britney spears was the most popular Artists at one time. It doesn't mean that she's the best artist. She's the best singer. She's all that stuff. It's just who has the most money behind them is usually what, what makes them more popular. But when you don't have the money behind you, I know I'm rambling here. You know, how, how do you, you know, when, when you do these tours together and you keep moving forward, the sense of community has to keep building. And you know, with, with a lot of artists, I see there's, there, there seems to be a sense of community of helping each other out and really knowing each other um you know and 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 like you said you're fans of this band you're fans of that band and that's great to see because there doesn't seem to be a lot of like this band's not good that band's not good or a lot of showcasing yourself at the expense of others do you guys agree with that
0: yeah, absolutely. I think that it's important to, I mean, um, I think it's important to artists to I, I've heard rumors that back in the day, you know, like you want to go with a safe opener, right? Like bands would want to hire someone they knew would not be a threat as far as like winning over their audience. But I think that's something, um, especially women in the industry, I feel have, have accepted is it doesn't have to be a competition. It's it's really, you know, somebody can be a fan of one person and a fan of the other at the same time. Um, even if there is a bit of correlation of their music or not. So I mean personally, I I feel like the most important thing you can do for yourself as an artist and for fans that are going through the exact same thing that you are going through or have gone through is, is show honest support. Um so yeah, I mean it, it it is different in the sense that like we still are at the level where we can we can interact with our fans and and interact with each other and build a community because we have to, honestly, it's, it's, it's almost like a survival mode thing at this point. Um, even if the money's not behind you, uh, you know, I was just having this conversation with a, with a friend of mine the other day. Um, I think a majority of us out here, especially as independent artists without financial backing, um, you just have this mindset where you do whatever you have to do to make things work and figure it out. And if it's, you know, like in my case, we, we've stayed in some pretty rotty places and we've driven absurdly long hours of the night to get to the next place. If it's a cheaper stay, but you do what you do because you're at a level where, and the drive where you don't really have guarantees. And if you can work with another band that has the same sense of commitment and drive and, and, uh, work ethic and take what they're doing seriously, like Aaron, it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to know that you're working with somebody and touring with somebody who understands the mentality that you have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Building those communities of the people that have like-minded like attitudes is yeah, really important in most industries, but especially the, the independent music industry. You guys both think that
3: it helps that the majority of artists in your position are kind of dealing with all the same highs and lows as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> Um, actually, speaking of Jack's Hollow, I just uh, we we don't see each other much anymore. But we did just meet up for for uh, a meal just to catch up after her her show at the Ryman with Melissa Etheridge, and we were chatting and um, just kind of talking about just how different things can be, especially in social media versus what's going on in real life and. I mean, she just, she kind of made this comment like, everybody seems to be doing so well and making all this money. And she's like, you're playing Sturgis opening for Lita Ford. I said, yeah, but we're also sleeping on the ground in tents for three days just to make that gig happen. So there is kind of a a false presentation, I feel, for a lot of, a lot of artists. And they think they see somebody else at their own level or their own community. And they think, God, they're doing so much better than me. How are they pulling this off? But the fact of the matter is, for the most part, we're all, we're all, you know, schlepping the same weights. We're all pulling the same ropes. So. It's it's important, I think, that everybody understands that um, you know, if you're if you're pursuing a career, especially in the music industry, and you're kind of making your way, especially as an independent artist without a label backing you or something like that, that it's everyone is going through, like you said, highs and lows. Everyone's going through the same uh rejections and successes. And it's just it's it's really a matter of of understanding that you don't know what's around the next corner. So just Keeping your eye on the prize and, and not letting yourself feel like you're doing better or worse than anyone else because we've all we're all playing a pack for one night and potentially I'm an doing the next. Yeah, big time.
3: It's that social media. Um, I don't know what you call it. That everyone you know, every, everyone posts pictures on social media of them doing well, right? No one posts pictures of them not doing well. So it it makes <laughs> this it, facade of everyone's happy. Why am I not happy? Why am I struggling? I'm the only one that has like problems because it creates this false sense of, you know, of what's really happening in, in, in a person's life. And it kind of carries over into other things. You know, like you mentioned with Jack saying, everyone seems to be doing successful, but again, people are all kind of pulling from the same rope and they're all kind of doing the same thing. It's just, you got to kind of take a step back and peel the orange and say okay there's more to this there's a there's a story behind that uh, of how that happened and how it is happening and you know each step that you guys take in success is you know it it, it, there's one big step but there's a lot of like weight on each of those steps that help you get there you know
1: yeah i i will say like i've seen like some of my friends who are like um like social media like they create like every single day on social media like they're like just the social media guitarists like I have been seeing more and more posts lately, though, of people peeling back that layer and showing their audience saying, hey, I've had to take a step away from social media for like a week or two, because it's really, it's becoming where I'm like i creating for quantity versus actual quality. And I don't feel like I'm creating art anymore. I just feel like I'm mass producing products. And people
0: are... What was it? I saw you recently post something about that. I saw you kind of just saying the same thing. Like, I feel like I'm not really enjoying... Mm -hmm. Playing right now, I'm doing it more for. It was more like it was on my story. It was. I think I was just kind of like, because it was starting to get
1: to me too. Like, just trying to post like you know reels every single day. And like, I posted this one reel um, that was like a comedy reel because I like it. It went really, really well, and it, it blew up and went viral, and we got a bunch of followers from that. And then I started posting more guitar reels, like continuing doing that, and I lost followers because they were expecting some of that comedy stuff all the time. So it's it definitely it jerks around your emotions, you know the that side of it but it's it's every side of of uh of the music industry whether it's social media content or whatever it can be draining and being able to you know like you said like like mental health awareness is becoming like way bigger now which is awesome because people are that's why people are doing these things where they're like hey I'm going to tell my audience like the truth I'm going to be honest and just say I have to peel this back and say you know I need to take a step back from this so
0: yeah i mean i i really respect the fact that you put so much work into your social media um i I don't have the patience, I think, or the blind faith in myself to do like the things that you do. I see you post reels of you playing every day. And I think that's so fantastic. Um, I also do feel though, and as somebody who harps constantly on the side effects of social media, um, you know, the way that you present yourself is unfortunately the way that you're selling yourself. So, especially as an artist, if you want venues to believe in you and, and, you know, other acts to believe that you're worth booking, you can't let on that maybe you had a bad night or you know that you're working however many hours to make ends meet. It just has to be this believable story of everything that I'm doing is great. And it's kind of a a two-sided coin because it's it's a necessary evil but at the same time like I wish people were more aware of the fact that independent artists it's it's not every every story is a victory. It's 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 ups and downs. Yeah, absolutely.
3: That is a misperception, you know, and you see it online in comments and you know oh they're making enough money and this and that and the truth is is that the majority of artists are not and and this is its perception of what it used to be you know there there was the days of the advances there was the days of you know getting a a two million dollar advance on a record and and making a record those those don't happen anymore and but the perception still lingers right because people don't understand that and like you said, with social media, people become a slave to that algorithm, right? Because you can't fall out of that algorithm. Because once you fall out of that algorithm, you got to play catch-up. And it's like you're constantly – it's just I, – I can't imagine what it is to be an artist these days. It used to be you put a song out, the video be- got, got big on MTV, radio followed, you got on a tour, and that was the story. And I like the fact, though, that – Rock and roll is really in a place, I think, where it needs to be, where it's now becoming, especially with the emerging stuff, is very underground and it creates kind of an element of like an outlaw, you know, where this isn't pop rock, this isn't rap or R&B or whatever it is, hip hop. It's different. You gotta go look for it. And it kind of creates a little bit of an excitement element that maybe didn't exist there before. And when you listen to it and you're that kid in school that listens to rock and roll, you're everyone's wondering, like, what what's he listening to or what's she listening to? And it does create a a sense of like it used to, danger. And that's really where rock and roll I think should be.
1: Totally. It's kind of cool because like it's it's just like with fashion, you know, like there's when you walk into the store and there's you know like bell bottoms or something from like however many years ago like everything's recycled there's like a cycle of of the eras I guess you could say it even with music like you know for a while like even a few years ago like rock was pretty dead like there were still some great rock artists but no one really talked about it it was all rap and pop and stuff like that you heard about all the time but now it's like the cycle is coming back to where rock is coming more into like the limelight but it's Like you said, it's more underground, but people are are talking about it. It's exciting and it's it's that emerging kind of thing. I mean, soon it will be, I think, where pop and like rap is, you know, it'll come back around to being a really, really big genre. But right now it is in that kind of beginning underground stage, which is really cool. I feel like playing guitar is cool again,
0: you know, like the longest time I remember when I was in middle school and I might be dating myself here, but when I was in middle school and high school, the music that you listen to on the radio that everybody knew had no guitar. I mean, it was all all like mini tracks and things like that. And it was just very, you know, the Lady Gaga and Black Eyed Pea tracks of the world. Now, I feel like um especially when you listen to champion playlists on streaming services that are oftentimes rock centered, it's cool to play guitar again. And that's awesome. Like, that's great news for people like Aaron and I. Who have always kind of stuck with this idea of like, well, that is the definition of cool, you know, and to, to feel like that's finally coming back around. And I don't know if that's if that's because of social media or if it's because like Aaron said, things are cycling. Like you can hear it in music nowadays, like with bands like Dirty Honey and and I mean Greta Van Fleet and and uh, Rival Sons, like that, that like almost like nostalgic vintage warmth in recordings and things like that using tube compressors is becoming popular again. And I think that's the coolest thing. Um, I personally still subscribe to the old school version of building a career. I think I just missed the mark with social media as far as my generation is concerned. I just, I didn't quite make that transition smoothly. And I still believe in the old, the old school way of building a career just by playing out and building a fan base, you know, at venues. And it's nice to think that that might actually be a feasible way to build a career again. Obviously CD sales are out, but if you can link playing out, putting on a good show, Writing good songs, being a good instrumentalist, link it with, you know, having some semblance of understanding how social media works. It's a really good time for rock bands. Absolutely. You
3: know, there's two thoughts on that about the guitar. Um, I do think guitar is is cool again. And it's nice to hear a guitar solo and a song again. Because right. for a long time that went away. It's like, where's my guitar solo? Like, where <laughs> where did it go? And I think like you mentioned, like, you know, a lot of the young artists are bringing that back. And I think that's really cool. I see it with my son and he plays and and, um, you know, he's trying to learn, learn the song and, and, and learn the, you know, the the solo. Um, I think that guitar creates a sense of wonder because when you look at it, it's a limited instrument, you know, but it's up to the player to unlock the limitlessness of that interest I- instrument. And, you know, we're approaching the three year anniversary of, of the passing of Eddie Van Halen. And prior to his passing, Van Halen, I remember reading an article was going to be, or people thought Van Halen was going to be that band that would just disappear over time. Like it'd be a footnote. And then, he, you know, he passed and then the, his eruption solo started going viral again from, yeah. I think it was 1986 or 1987. And young people were like, I've never heard a guitar sound like that. I've never heard someone play like that. And that's because no one had a guitar solo for like a decade in their songs. And here was this man who changed the game in the late 70s, who passed and that meant, meant so much to guitar playing, not as much as blues bass, but just playing and phrasing and how to, how to approach the guitar. And here he was after his passing, still having an impact on another generation. And I always believe something... Uh, something bad, something good happens. I think from his passing, the goodness is, is that people are rediscovering the guitar. And when you have artists, young artists like both of you and female artists again, like both of you and Jax and, and, and Grace, you know, Bowers and, and, and all, and all these artists, I think, you know, Lizzie Hale is another one are, but you have Dorothy Martin you have all these great female artists that it's also opening up doors for young girls too, as well to have that music hero that maybe they didn't have in years past.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think even, even to, you know, I think it's, I hate, I hate playing the, the, the women have been at a disadvantage card, but I feel like, I mean, there's been a lot of obviously changes in the social tide, so to speak, in the past couple of years, Uh, like Aaron said, mental health awareness, which I think is fantastic. Um, But also I feel like um, there's definitely been a shift, at least from what I've seen um, women being uh, really championed in the music industry. And Uh, I think it's always been cool to be like a rock centered female, but I feel like now it's, it's really, for lack of a better word, trendy, which is a good thing. You know, it's, I think that, you know, having people like Lizzie Hale who have been doing this for decades, seeing her become like this real force of nature. And then also obviously Nita Strauss who you spoke to, I mean, just seeing women like that, just being really, um, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not huge on, on on preaching on equality, but it is nice to see uh, just a very open-armed acceptance of of women in their roles in rock and seeing how that's playing out to be like, you know what, we frankly can do this and we are as good as men. And I've, I've never really felt like I've been at a huge disadvantage as a woman. I, I mean, I've worked hard and I do believe that your work ethic should speak for itself. Um, but it is nice to see people like me down on the cover of Guitar Player and things like that. Like, it's just very encouraging.
1: Definitely.
3: For both of you being female artists, who was the artist that propelled you or became your hero on the female side, too? Like, who inspired you to pick up the instrument and start playing and start doing rock and roll? And knowing that, as a female, it was possible. Right.
1: Oh, gosh. There were so many names. Like, you uh Growing up, because I, I listened to a lot of like blues artists, but they were like the really old blues artists. So I didn't, I mean, there was like Coco Taylor, but there's a lot of older, a lot of, like, old, like like, older names and stuff that I just watched videos. I didn't really know their names, but I remember seeing these women play guitar and like these like bars and it was like just awesome. But there's there's so many like modern women out there now that are inspiring, you know, like, like Yvette Young and, you know, you just, you have so many,
0: so many different people that are really cool to look up to. Yeah, honestly, I, 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 all of my, my role models were males. Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) I was like searching. I'm like, there's a couple I know.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's like, like Aaron, like yourself, like, I mean, we both have blues backgrounds. Um, I think honestly, if there was, if, if there was an influence for me, that was a female, it was usually vocally more than playing just because, I mean, obviously Bonnie Raitt, um, phenomenal player and phenomenal writer and vocalist, um, but yeah, for the most part, all the way influences were actually from males up until recently when you discover people such as Lizzie Hill, Nita e. Strauss, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I think it's just when we, when we were growing up, like it wasn't widely talked about of like, oh, there's this woman like shredding guitar over here. It was always men were in like the light and that's what you saw. So it was just like, I'm going to do that too. And then now it's like all the women that said, I'm going to do that too, or, you know, big and in the light now, which is awesome. But
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't really prevalent. Yeah.
3: <laughs> who, who helped foster that encouragement for you, though? I mean, like you said, it, you know, it, it it always shined a light on male guitar players. And here you are as young girls learning how to play guitar. There had to be something that said, I can do that. I don't care if I'm a girl or not. Where did that come from?
0: I don't think it really factored in for me, you know, like uh, uh, thinking about the fact that it was male guitar players that I was watching. I think to me, it was just it looked effortlessly neat You know, Keith Richards and Jack White, and, um, and God, just so many people that I just thought were like the epitome of cool. I was like, man, if that's, if that's what it takes, then, you know, I, the fact that I was, the fact that I was looking at all males didn't really play into anything except for maybe the fact that I do dress more masculine than, than other women, but like I've never, I've never really considered it to be much of a difference. It's just more of a thing of like, I like their playing and and that's just what, that's what I want to learn how to do. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Aaron, did you ever, did you ever think about maybe the fact that being a female, learning a bunch of male guitar players styles was, was odd?
1: No. Cause I think I didn't really see men. I saw the guitar, you know, and like, yeah. or like when, like, cause I watched Joe Satriani play a lot. Like my parents always had DVDs of Joe Satriani on the TV. And I was just like, mesmerized by this man's like guitar playing in his mouth because he was like it was it was matching up and I was just like is he making it like when as a young kid I'm like is there a connection here like what's happened it was it's just like it was like a, a just a strange kind of out-of-this-world looking thing going on so but no I mean I didn't pay attention to what was between their legs I was watching the guitar <laughs>
3: That's, that's, that's a very great perspective is watching the guitar. It doesn't matter who's playing it, you know I mean? Cause I think at the end of the day, that's all it matters. Whether you're female, whether you're male, it's, it's about the guitar and, you know, the guitar knows no difference between a male and a female and and who plays it. And, you know, I, I think also the thing that's amazing about, a female guitar player, because I, I usually don't like to call someone a female band or a female artist. To me, they're just bands or they're artists. But I also um, like when a, f- a female guitar player is playing because there is always different perspectives and there is a different way of playing. I think that adds a new element of unlocking those that journey of the guitar that maybe wasn't unlocked before. I mean, there has to be in order for you know to guitar to keep carrying on artists that keep unlocking things and i think adding more female guitar players to that more things are going to be unlocked and more things are going to be able to be influenced by those players too as well
1: yeah i think like adding just different people in general like having having people from all different kinds of backgrounds genders like race, anything Bringing their perspective and their life experiences into the instrument. Like, that's what creates art and, like, new, new pieces of art for people to, cause, like, art is all about, like, you know, putting out yourself, like, the darkest parts of yourself for other people to understand or, you know, like, try to understand at least. So, yeah, having different people and, like, women or any, any gender is important.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you spend enough time with anything, especially something that's creatively based. I mean, I, I know people that spend their whole lives trying to sound like one player or one genre. And I think inevitably, if you learn something well enough, you're going to have your own aspects of your personality creep into it, regardless of of what it is. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the benefits of having guitar being so popular right now is, you know, one style will seem to reach kind of a peak. And then you start to see somebody kind of spin off of it and take it in a new direction. So it's this constantly evolving thing. I, like right now, the biggest thing, like Aaron, I think your style of playing is is uh, hugely popular right now. And it's cool to get to see so many different interpretations based on whoever's playing the guitar.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
3: That sets up the next question, um, which is how do you approach your your guitar playing? Like Like how do you... When you pick it up out of the case or off the stand and you start playing, like, what is your approach to it? Like, where do you go once you do that?
1: You want to go first? Go for it. All right. Um, well, it's it's evolved over time. Uh, when I was younger and first playing, uh, I would approach the guitar and be like, you know what? I don't know if I can say bad words in here. So I'm just going to say, you know what? F what my teacher told you me to, say bad to words. do. You can All say bad words. All right you know what? Fuck what my teacher told me to do. I'm just going to do what I want to do and play my own thing. Even though I had no idea how to play. I just, I was the worst student. All I did, wanted to do was write my own little things, figure it out myself. They would, you know, write the little tablature things and say, all right, learn this and come back. Never. I would never do that. But, uh, I, you know, I was approaching it. I was approaching it younger with like a, a much more open mind, but in a stubborn way. But now, um, I approach it with things that I've learned. Like, before I pick up the guitar, I try to take a deep breath because I know that if I don't like focus on my breathing, I'm gonna either like rush the parts or I'm gonna play something that's like jumbled. You know, it's just not like what I want to come out. But if I take take a deep breath and it's, it it feels it feels like I'm a little more connected to what I'm trying to say. So but that's you know that's what I try to do before I approach the guitar now.
2: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds.
0: Actually I was I was super similar when I was first learning my parents uh because I wanted to do rock I wanted to play like I wanted to play like Hendrix and Green Day and the Stones and like you know Steve Ray Vaughan and my parents were like no you're going to start with the classical guitar and it was like a footstool and they tilted it up and my teacher would like tape a pencil across my knuckles which is the exact opposite tech Like you could not be more polar opposite from rock playing technique. And so I was not a great student either. I mean, I I I would enjoy like, you know, learning and like learning a piece properly and playing it right. But I was never, it was never what I wanted to do. I remember my dad used to like throw his shoes at me because I would fall asleep practicing classical technique because it just was so boring to me. And it was the same thing. Like I would, I would want to learn to figure out how to play things that I wanted to play. And then eventually when I was... Twelve or thirteen, and got like a proper like electric guitar, and I moved, and we had a new teacher, and he just said like, "Hey, this is BB King. Learn this solo. Figure out where it is on the fretboard." And I was like, "That's it. That's that makes sense to me. Like, that's something that I, I feel." So when I pick up the guitar now, um I don't. And I think Jay, I think we've talked about this before, but I don't have a great practice routine, partially because my full time job is playing. So if I spend like eight hours on stage because I'm working two Broadway shifts, I don't want to come home and play more. I just don't. But um, I still do, you know, try to in my own playing when I'm on stage, if I'm, if I'm doing something that I'm used to, I try to find new ways to express the things I'm hearing in my head. So when I approach guitar now, it's, it's more of making sure that it's a conduit for expressing whatever the song is about or whatever I'm feeling, make sure that it's, it's going to fit what's going on rather than just this like blanket statements playing style. So it's right now I'm in a, a place where I'm trying to figure out new ways to express things, but still, um, Stay, stay on a a friendly path with with my instrument.
3: Here's what might seem like an odd question, but for those that don't play guitar, when we have an, a, a particular emotion that we're dealing with, you know, we have the thoughts in our head of excitement, anger, annoyance, whatever it is. Being that you play guitar, when you have a range of emotions, do you hear a tone in your head? That details or, or, or signals a certain type of emotion.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well,
3: wow, that's interesting.
0: I, I think it's I think it's pretty traditional. Like as far as what I what I hear, like you know, um although I don't know, I mean, like we the song that we're going to be re- I'm going to be releasing next month is a major key song, so it's very happy. It's very soft, and the solo is still this like disgustingly overdriven tone that was completely unnecessary but that's what i heard in my head so I, I don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong um i think more than anything uh for me whatever i'm feeling gets translated more in um uh aggression maybe than than you know doing something too drastic to my tone i don't know aaron what about you yeah yeah i would i would agree with that yeah
3: When you have that ability to do that, right, and hear a tone when you have a certain – any type of emotion, right, how do you you capture it? Is it just then when you get your guitar, you start playing it, and it kind of leads to something else? I mean, do you kind of just keep hearing it in your head? Um, Do you need to play it to get it out of your system? How does that work for both of you?
1: I think – For me, like, when I have something in my head, like, I'll, I'll start with, like, trying to dial it in this, like, in real life as much as possible. And then it normally evolves from there though. I'll be like, especially nowadays with all of like the technology at the fingertips, like all these amps you can have in your computer, the amp sims and stuff. I'll just be flipping through like, oh no, I like that better. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do this riff instead. And then it's like, what you originally thought you were gonna do is nothing like what it was, but like, it's like a reflex. Like I'm really impulsive as like a person with everything. So with guitar playing, it's it's the same exact thing. It's like, I want to do this now over
0: here. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that it's it's because I, I have the same thing. Like if I'm if I hear something in my head and I'm like, oh, I need to I need to at least get that down, you know. Like I will same thing. I will plug into whatever DAW I'm using, usually Logic, and I'll think that I find what I'm looking for, and then same thing. I'll be like, nope, that's that's not what it, what I was looking for, but that actually sounds better. And then inevitably, I think that you know that also kind of shapes whatever the riff or song turns into It's just right process of discovery. But, yeah, I mean, if I hear something in my head, I try to – I'll do, like, really, really shitty voice notes at 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that, just <laughs> into, like, a baseline, and then never listen to it again.
1: Yes.
3: I've often wondered, too, the voice notes on a guitar player's cell phone must be – like, any guitar player must just completely be off the rails. It, it, that-
1: in the, vi- the videos, too, where it's just, like, your phone is just sitting on, like, a, it's, like, the worst angle. It's, like, half your butt or, like, it's, like, half your head. It's not even the guitar. It's just so you can, like, quickly, like, I don't even use voice notes anymore. Sometimes I'll just do, like, videos, and it's just the phone facing the ceiling. I'm, like, I could have done a voice note, but I'm taking a 4K video of the ceiling <laughs> with this guitar thing.
3: There's your TikTok <laughs> content right there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make an account poorly shot guitar videos. <laughs> <laughs> My most unhinged voice notes are actually for like songwriting purposes. It'll be like completely discernible nonsense off like bizarre melodies that don't make no sense. Like that's it's a deep, dark hole that I'm, I'm frequently terrified to visit and usually don't. But <laughs> We'll will probably stay in there until the day that I die.
1: I have a question: Are you a uh, a voice note hoarder as well, like where you have ten thousand voice notes, but and like you know you could delete probably all of them, but you you keep them?
0: (laughs) What if it's something slightly different about (laughs) tape?
1: Let's go. I'm telling
3: you, you have a built in social media content right here of just random voice notes on Guitar (laughs) Revs.
0: Oh, God. I don't know if anybody needs to see that. I don't
3: know, but you know how many guitar players out there that have social media that can totally relate to all that? I'm telling yeah. you. It'd be, big. it'd be a
1: fun series. <laughs>
3: be huge, totally big. So, um, as far as touring goes, do you guys like? I mean, obviously, you have to like to be on the road, but how many dates are you guys comfortable with doing every year? I mean, you know there's some bands that will do 200 like blackberry smoke is like always out on the road yes. um and then there's other bands that maybe just do a two month stint every year like where do you guys fall in in, in in how much you play
1: i think uh for the past like besides like the pandemic years i've had maybe like i don't i'm i'm like usually playing every week but i maybe i have had like a total of like three weeks like off, but not like at a time. It's just, you know, but that's from the whole year. So we're, we're playing a lot. And which is why it's been hard to write and record in my studio because we're never, I'd like to do like six months of just straight touring, like shows every single night, maybe a couple days off within that six months, but just like really go balls to the wall. And then six months of writing, you know, and like having that time to be a person, you know, and then come back to, to touring on that, experience
0: so um yeah i mean we uh i don't know how many show dates we've done at this point but i know that it's been a lot it was a lot of going out on the weekends coming back or doing you know maybe a week out um this this tour is actually going to be the the longest that we've been out on the road and i'm unbelievably excited to finally do it because i've been dying to do like actually extensive proper run for me, ideally, I mean, I'd like to be out as much as I possibly can. And then like Aaron, I have a, I have a tough time writing and recording because a lot of my budget goes into road expenses and making sure my band is getting paid, what they need to get paid and fixing the van and like, you know, all that stuff. But it would be nice to be out for, you know, I could probably comfortably do maybe three to four months at a time. uh, As long as, you know, I'm not killing my vocal cords, come back for a month and a half, knock out an EP or a record and then just go back out. I, I love being on the road. Um, I do, you know, my, my partner is also in the music industry. So he's very understanding of our schedule. And I just, it's, I I get super restless when I'm home and I get like cagey. Like I get weird and I get antsy and I start to rearrange furniture. So I think that I, I, I'm not good at just sitting in one place at a home. So the more we can be out, the better. And I also love, I love seeing new places. I love, I love getting to play for new people every night. I just, I love being out playing. So as much as I could possibly do while still making sure that we're proving that we're writing music would be ideal.
3: You guys like to create on the road?
0: Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. We bring, um, oh, go ahead.
3: I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause there's some artists that just do not want to create on a, mm. on a van or a bus or anything like that.
1: It's definitely different. Like when I first started doing it, I'm like, I feel car sick. But after that, I'm like, okay, I'll just, you know, like I'll adapt. So I'll get like a little desk for the van, you know, I can put my laptop on. But yeah, we bring our, um, like just like a little focus right interface. And, you know, we'll go into logic and I'll, I'll do like, like, I do like these riffs on Instagram. So I'll do like riffs in the van sometimes or like live stream in the van. But like, that's creating to me is like still content side of things, but then also like writing, like, we'll, we'll get home from like a show. If it's an early show, then we're like, all right, let's go to the hotel room. Let's write. And, you know, we're up till, you know, one or two writing something. So until someone tells us to turn it down. So, (laughs) but I think, I think it's fun. It's definitely a different energy writing on the road than writing at home, but both are, are equally as, as fun.
0: Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, for the most part, we don't actively play. We've tried, you know, if we have like a song, we're like, oh, we should definitely work this up and get it on the set list. We'll, we'll spend time doing that. But... um I don't know why, but I think as a group, we're all typically just exhausted all of the time. So usually if we're, if we make it to wherever it is we're going and we finish the show, then we, we will go to sleep. And I personally for my voice, just because I'm literally, if I'm not home, if I'm not on the road, I'm singing all the time. So I try to rest my voice as much as I can, but we have really honestly great creative moments when we're doing sound checks. If we have time and you know, like if, if, I come up with a riff or my other guitar player comes up with a riff. We will flesh out like an intent. We'll just jam on a song. We'll hit the voice notes button and we'll be like, this is cool. And the best part about that is also, I mean, you're not working by yourself because Aaron, I'm sure you understand this. Like I find that I have the easiest time writing. If I can actually hear things happening in real time, like I, you know, you can come up with a riff, a song, a melody and a lot of my songs I have written by myself, but I find it much more, um, Like I find there's more flow to it if you just organically come up with something with everybody participating at the same time, because then everyone is creating their own or contributing their own vibe, so to speak. Um, So I actually I love what we come up with on the road. It's just it's usually not planned, but I feel like especially with this tour uh, coming up when we do have these off days set and we're we're definitely going to be actively working on. creating things because we we know what's coming up and we we have the time and we're not gonna be doing you know three hours a night and have to worry about driving another six the next day and killing ourselves so i'm looking forward to having that opportunity as well
1: that's another plus of touring with having a like a co-headline show is you don't play the three hours you get to split (laughs) that's so nice i'm
0: so
1: excited (laughs) yes yes me too
3: well, when you're on the road, right, and you're in that mode of playing live, right, there's a certain mentality that you have to have. And, you know, every day is a grind because you're going from city to city. You're driving, you know, but also you're you're playing. Does that help open up areas of creativity that maybe at home would be harder to get out of? I think, yeah, so.
0: I think so. Yeah. You're in, you're in new environments. You're... I think there's something, something to said, like while you're on stage, I think you get a lot of inspiration in the moment. Um, you're also, you know, you're being stimulated. You're on new people, you're on new stages, you're in a new place, you're seeing new things or, you know, at least something different other than the same four walls that you've been staring at. I think that it's, it's at least personally, I think it's highly conducive to, to inspiring new avenues of creativity that maybe you wouldn't get just sitting in the same familiar environment.
1: Yeah. For me, it's like, well, some of the times we'll load in like super early and then we have like four or five hours to kill before the show starts at the venue. So I'll bring my little practice amp and my laptop and I'll pull up like the, 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 the guitar course I'm taking or something to like stay up on like, you know, different guitar things. And I'll just do that. But it, it puts me in like a different space of like, I'm going to learn this. So then like later, if I'm inspired, I can use what I learned earlier in the day. But like if I was home... Like, obviously, I'm still doing the guitar course, but like, I wouldn't be spending four to five hours on it. It's like, I'll set aside an hour for this and then I'll go do this over here. Like, but on the road, you know, you can do things in not moderation. It's not the healthiest way. I mean, I'm, road life in general is not healthy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but oh. like, you know, it's, that's why you do it sporadically. You come home, you know, for a couple of days and then go back out to, you know, recharge, but yeah.
0: <laughs> you're way more disciplined than we are. unfortunately, my band and I have a really bad habit of anytime, especially if we're in a new place, for like, let's go find the best taco slash bar like whatever, whatever the local cuisine is, that's where we go before the show. Because we have no discipline and love food.
1: So. Oh no, we, we do that. We do we do that too. <laughs> if if the venue lets if the venue's covering food, then we'll eat there. But if they're not, then we normally go to like pho. If we can find Vietnamese restaurants. Yeah. Us too. I got a place yes. in
0: Chicago that I can recommend to you that has amazing uh, It's right by CME. So Please what better send way you ask it for? over? Send it over. <laughs> <laughs> <And> I'm, <laughs> I'm bringing my gym clothes out with me for this tour. I'm booking hotels with fitness centers. Like I, I like yes. a good routine on the road. You know, I feel yes. like it's possible. I feel like it, you don't have to get used to it though. You have to know what to expect, understand yeah. what stuff's going to look like, and then especially not like you said, not having to play three hours straight. You have yes. a little to actually get into a bit of a routine
1: yeah the thing that messes me up like i'm always like all right i'm gonna like go to bed at like 10 and then wake up at like 6 the next day and go to the gym and then do this have my tea and like lay it out but then the one thing that throws a wrench in it is like the one show on the tour that's till like 2 a.m or something like 1 a.m and then like the rest of the days you're just i gotta catch up on sleep from that one show and yeah the schedule goes out the window that bothers me so much but like it's just that thing because like I love lists and like schedules. And if I don't like follow it from like the list that I wrote the night before, then it feels like everything's messed up.
0: (laughs) I love the weird mentality of like one, one show that goes later than the other shows. And it's like this do or die situation where you're like, if I don't get at least nine hours of sleep, I will not survive. I don't know what that is. I don't know why we think that way, because we'd probably all be fine. Yeah. But I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, I stayed up three hours later than I usually do. I'm If I do not get sleep for the entire rest of the next day, I will perish. I don't know, because it's definitely not true. But well, No,
1: I feel the same way.
0: <laughs> What's the restaurant in Chicago that
3: you're going to recommend?
0: Yeah, it's because you, yeah. Uh, so there's this faux place and it's by CME. And I don't remember what it's called. If I looked at the map, I could probably find it. But all I know is if you go to CME and you're walking, you, if you come out of the store and you take a left, a couple doors down, there's a little yellow door and it's mm-hmm. a Vietnamese place and they have the best pho I've ever had in my life. Oh my gosh. Like two or three doors down on the same block. And it's a little yeah, yellow I door.
3: I know that know the door. Because I think, like, <laughs> uh, CME that's on Lincoln, I think.
0: Yeah,
3: and it's in Lincoln Park. So if you, yeah, I know. I think I know the door, the yellow door. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the yellow door It sounds so Nashville.
3: ominous. You know, in, in Chicago, what you gotta realize is we think everything is ten minutes away. So like, <laughs> you know, like, like I remember I was going down to Nashville. I mean, it's obviously not. And like, like when are you leaving? I'm like, oh, such and such. Well, don't you have to be here by this? I'm like, yeah, it only takes like three hours to drive to Nashville. <laughs> I'm like. You're like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, yeah, it does. And I'm, I'm driving. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't take three hours to get to Nashville. Um, <laughs> but that's how we are in Chicago. We think everything is like 10, 15 minutes away. Um, as far as, well, I did not as, as far as, but I did talk to an artist one time in a band that said the best thing to do is to stay in parking lots where there's a planet fitness. Cause planet fitness is like 24 hours. And they have showers that are, they're like 24 hours and you can sleep in your van and go take a shower at the Planet Fitness.
0: I feel like I know exactly what band told you that too. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that is a, a a common pro tip amongst independent touring. Artists. Okay. I've never exercised that. Have you ever done that, Aaron? No, yeah. our
1: van only has windows and like the very front. So I feel like we would probably like, there wouldn't be very good ventilation in there.
0: Yeah, 16-year-old drummer. He needs a bed. Like I can't I can't make him sleep in a van in a fucking lot. His wife would kill me. (laughs) We we try to at least get everybody on something with a mattress. Yeah.
1: If you sleep well, you play well. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, like I I
0: personally don't want to be stuck in a confined environment with three dudes. I'm not interested in in whatever aromatic situation that would be. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I've often thought about that too. Like you're driving in a van and I'm like, man, like, like we've all slept in a car at some point in our lives, but maybe cause I'm, I, I as I've gotten older, it's become less attractive to me sleeping in a car. And I just wonder, like, you know, that's why always, whenever I go to a venue, I'm like, do you guys have showers at this venue? Cause I just can't imagine like the sweat and the stench from a performing and getting in a van in a closed environment with very poor ventilation and like driving for like six, seven hours. That's gotta be.
1: My band had an intervention with me because I'm just gonna be fully honest here. For the longest time, I would never wear deodorant. And because like I read, art- I'm a health nut, and I read articles of like, oh, like a lot of deodorants have like things in them that, you know, like this is like your armpits are like a natural, like. I guess like a one way ticket to like your hormones and stuff like that. And like deodorant can mess with that. So I was like, Oh no, I'm not doing that. So I'm like, I just won't wear it. And, uh, you know, which was great because like there are some fans that want to get really, really close to you and I love them dearly, but having that like no deodorant thing definitely kept a little barrier around. But, um, oh, I wear deodorant now, but my band had to have an in- intervention because we would get in the van after shows and they would be like, Aaron, <laughs> you, you gotta do something about this, man. It's, and like I'm in a band with all guys. So like, you know, like not to do stereotypes, but people wouldn't think it's the woman, but it
0: was it was me. <laughs> um, some of the worst not worst smelling, that's rude, but some of the strongest smelling people I've been around are people that are in successful bands. Yes. <laughs> Have all of the opportunity and accommodations at their at their their disposal and for some reason just don't. I mean, I you know, I try to exercise good hygiene. I, I'm the same way about it. I'm very like, oh, I can't have any parabens or aluminum in my deodorant. So yes. I don't know if it works as well, but, you know, it is what it is. I have some some jackets from some shows that I've not cleaned yet that could be used as biohazards. Yep. I feel the same
1: way.
3: <laughs> well, if anything comes out of this interview, Erin, I think you've secured yourself a sponsor for deodorant for the tour.
1: Maybe I found this nice deodorant in Canada because everything's better in Canada. I just love Canada, but uh, it's, it's organic and it works great. So the band's happy. Everyone's happy. The fans are happier. Yeah. Yes.
3: (laughs) When, when I was in Mexico years ago, I found this soap that was incredible, incredible. And, and I bought like 50 bars in Mexico and I, and I, they must have thought at customs that I was smuggling drugs within the soap bars because who the hell walks through customs with like 50, 60 bars of soap, you know? And, um, I ran out eventually. So I started ordering online from like these, uh, Hispanic distribution centers and they would deliver like, like, like a box full of like soap and i use the same soap for like literally 20 years i never ventured off of anything else besides this soap That's kind of how much of a lunatic i am and um and then one day this is recently like 5 years ago i'm like yeah i'm sure the soap's around here this is fine do i to, do i have to keep ordering from this distribution company to get my soap so Because I remember they called me. They're like, are you a store? I'm like, no, I'm just a private residence. I'm like, oh, we've never had a call like this before.
1: (laughs) That's intense.
3: (laughs) So so what it is. Okay. So there's Kame soap, right? And you can buy came at U.S. grocery stores or wherever. But the soap in Latin America is without all the chemicals and everything. And I remember because I was at the, I forget what they call it in. I was outside of Acapulco and I bought a couple bars and I'm like, wow, this soap is really good, blah, blah, blah. And I started handing out like, you know, for gifts for like Christmas and stuff to like my family. Like, you just gave me soap for Christmas. I'm like, trust me. And no one loved the soap as much as I did. But again, that's the kind of lunatic I am. But I would order, like, I was obsessed about it. And then I found a couple dollar stores that were kind of like like privately owned dollar stores that would sell it because they would get the stuff in from from Mexico. So like I had an obsession about soap for like a, a good twenty-year obsession. So I totally know, like, understand where you're going with the whole whole thing. And, and amazing.
1: <laughs> that is, oh my gosh!
3: I have never <laughs> talked about that on my podcast. So now I just expose myself of like OCD. Yeah, you know? well, <laughs> we're
1: all we're all getting real deep here. We're all saying things we've never said before. <laughs> Not
3: Only are we a music podcast, but we talk about personal hygiene and products we use from around the world that yes. we obsess about. Yes. Yeah. So oh, I'm, I'm happy with you. Yeah. I, I still, I, like, I remember, like, the, the, the customs agent, like, looking at me and looking at my bag and looking at me and looking at my bag. I'm like, dude, it's just soap. It's, it's just <laughs> <laughs> soap.
0: Which might actually be more concerning than if you actually had drugs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's more problematic.
3: Well, they probably didn't question me or search me because they probably just didn't, un- like, just get this freak out of here, you know? Well, so.
1: What was that one movie where they were making soap out of, like, human fat?
3: That was uh, Fight Club.
1: Fight Club, yeah. Maybe they were thinking, like, some kind of connection with that. I don't know.
3: <laughs> I, mean, I just, I just mass murdered a whole bunch of people in Mexico. <laughs> yeah.
1: <get> <laughs> Ew. I just saw that movie, and I was, like, after it. And I'm like, what the hell just happened?
0: <laughs> Locked that from my memory, because I have no recollection of that happening in Fight Club. I must have buried it.
1: It is. It that was the that's probably the only memory I have of that movie. And that because it was just like this is disturbing. <laughs> like
3: they're, go- they're going. They're oh, going to a dumpster, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. They go to this like this facility that like like kills people. or like oh, like people God, go to die?
0: Nice. Yeah, and yeah. then like
1: the bag explodes on him a little bit when he's when they're trying to steal it. Ooh.
3: Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, okay, okay. That's. I'm gonna go watch that movie today. Um, <laughs> So being out, back to being on the road after our soap and de- deodorant discussion um as you guys look at you know your careers and and you know still I mean obviously Leilani you just played played Sturgis. um what what do you try to get out of each tour like what is something is it, is it just something about playing music and growing audiences or something more from it that that comes to you guys
0: I mean, honestly, I think Aaron's probably been touring longer than I have. I've only technically been touring since, like, with my own music under my own name since 2021. Um, so I'm actually new to this. Um, so honestly, what we're doing right now, and it's, you know, after doing it for two and a half years, um, I think we've got a pretty good handle on it. But for for a while, it was just figuring out, you know, okay, does the cellist order that I've written works? Like, does it translate on stage? Yeah. Um, do the songs that we've selected to play, do they make sense? Do they connect with an audience? You know, how do we go from just playing a set to playing a show, um, developing a routine for load in, um, figuring out just, uh, you know, like as, as Aaron knows, you have to have a system when it comes to load in merch, things like that. Um, ultimately at this point, what we're doing is uh, we're studying, you know, what have we done so far that's worked right? like. What about the set list makes sense? Um, what's, what's communicating well? Where can we create moments of, of, uh, dynamics and connection with the audience throughout the show? And what can we do to improve? And also really ultimately, especially as an artist for me, I'm learning what style of music I enjoy playing live the most and what makes the most sense for who I'm playing for. So it's, um, the past two and a half years has just been almost like, just like a study, uh, and uh, what we play shows now, what we try to do is just try to make every show better than the last. And something that you know, we we played a show in uh, Sa- where were we? West Virginia or one of the Virginias? And um, it was uh, just kind of a just not a great day for it. Uh, the venue wasn't what we were kind of expecting. Um, the weather was shit. The audience wasn't terribly involved. And it was one of those four-hour gigs. We took a we took our break. And we all just seemed a little bit defeated. And um, we're all hanging by the van, smoking cigarettes. And I was like, look, honestly, you know, this is obviously not our best gig. This is not what we were, thought we were getting ourselves into. What we need to do right now is make the most of the situation. And if they're not going to have fun, at least we can have fun and we can treat it like a real proper practice and really use this opportunity to to work on making sure that we're delivering and and try to still win. You know, we still had fans in the audience that were paying attention. We did well with merch, surprisingly. Um, but it was kind of like a situation of like, we still have people paying attention and we need to at least make sure that we're putting on a good show for them and for ourselves. I've learned that my worst fear is coming away from a show feeling like, like the idea that somebody might walk away from one of my gigs going, yeah, it was okay. Or yeah, it was good. I, I can't stand that. It needs to be great. So we're using every show as an opportunity to make sure that we are delivering a standard and that we are studying the audience response and figuring out what we can do to take things to the next stage, make it literally and figuratively.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we come like, coming away from like tours and stuff, I'm always like trying to take away like the energy, like kind of similar, to what, like Leilani was talking about, you know, like how did the audiences respond and things like that? Um, usually I'm just looking for inspiration, you know, not that I'm like looking for it, but I'm hoping to come away with some new inspiration. Cause nothing's better than having fans in different parts or places that you've never played in before coming out to shows and like being like you just made my day or like my week was really rough and this just made it so much better like that's what i look for in tours is those little moments of like oh i can take this back home and just just feel feel good about this and 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 write something from this experience so um that's usually what i'm looking for um coming out of tours
3: the Fire and Fretz Tour begins towards the end of this month. In a couple of weeks, it's going to be hitting places like Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, um, all over the Midwest, eastern uh, seaboard area, and down into the south, too, as well. So go check out Aaron Colburn and Leilani Kilgore on tour. I promise you, you will not regret it. You will absolutely enjoy it. Leilani, Aaron, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having us. You can check our armpits and see if we're lying about our development application. <laughs>
3: that's, well, you got to get the meet and greet package in order to do that.
1: <laughs> this tour is going to smell really good. Don't worry. That's, that's
3: <laughs> sponsored by Sure
1: um, Fire frets and Floral tour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there we go.
3: <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you both again. I appreciate it.
0: Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us
3: everyone that is aaron colburn and leilani kilgore again check them out on the fire and frets tour go to their social media and their web pages all the tour information is on there and it'll be in the show notes as well in case you want to link up and find out where they're playing and if they're playing close to you go see them once again i'm jay scott and this is the hook rocks the ultimate rock media podcast thanks again for listening we'll talk soon take care of each other and stay safe take care thank you
0: to my